we can best serve you as a church. We're continuing in our series on reconciliation. And so last night, um, Eden's like, oh, Tio, you're preaching. I'll go to Elijah's service. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. And I was like, all right. Uh, but she's like, um, what's reconciliation? And I thought, well, that's a fair question for a now 13-year-old. She turned 13 on Thursday, which is terrifying. Um, but she asked what reconciliation was. And I said, well, it's bringing two people together, right? It's bringing two people um, who were once enemies back together. Uh, this topic is particularly applicable to me this morning because I spent this week in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale. And I was at a sales convention. And uh, who's in sales or marketing? Yeah, so you know it well. The big old sales convention where a company flies 400-some people to a sunny state and then you're locked in a conference room for 12-hour meetings and six-hour dinners. Uh, so not a lot of fun, but uh, I was in Florida. Uh, it was torrential rain. Um, but the last day, and I was afraid this would happen. So anybody ever been to like a motivational speaker, motivational talk, like a Tony Robbins-esque kind of thing? Um, the last day of the sales meeting, my company brought in a motivational speaker, yes? And he, at random, supposedly the day before, picked five of us to sit on a panel, and so I was chosen, which is such a bummer, and so I, uh, so I was sitting up on this panel, and, he's, and he asked us some questions, you know, what's, what's the problem with the company, and we're all given generic answers, and then he's like, all right, what are you, Joseph, going to do to fix that problem, because stop pointing at somebody else to fix the problem, you have to fix the problem, right, and then that was the big, big aha moment, um, so, you know, I answered, and, uh, and then he goes into this big, long dialogue about um, why we're here, right? Because uh, he says, the purpose of your life is to play to win. And you are sales and marketing of this big Fortune 500 company. So the purpose of your life is to play to win. And he says, look at the person next to you. Stand up and give them a big hug because this is your family. Do it on the left and do it on the right. This is your family. He says, because you'll spend more time with these people than you do with your families at home. So they matter a lot. So everybody's doing it awkwardly because we don't really like each other that much, right? I mean, we're a business, so I'm like, all right, oh, thank you. Oh. Um, and then he goes into this dialogue about how, how he had lost his spouse at a young age, which was sad, of course, and he was a widow with two kids. But what got him through it is recognizing that his peers, his coworkers, were his family. And I thought, man, if this isn't the most depressing speech I have ever heard it made, every, it made me want to just stand up and be like, I quit. I'm out. Right? I don't want to spend my whole life with these 399 people. This cannot be my family. Anybody else been there? But you spend so much of your life working. Yes? I spend so much of my life working. And I guess I want, well, you all know what the company is. It's BIC. I sell pens and razors. It's a meaningless life. Please don't post this on the website. Uh, because I need the paycheck. Uh, it is a meaningless, please don't post. Uh, it is a meaningless life. I mean, my whole life, right? I'm selling pens, the real cheap ballpoint ones that you have in the back seats, and the disposable razors, right? That's not my family, and that's not my purpose, amen? The only thing that got me out of the meeting was to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a greater purpose here. Wait a minute, I am reconciled to Jesus, I am reconciled. There is union between me and the creator of the universe. And he has a plan and a purpose for me. 
that extends well beyond the selling of ballpoint pens on the internet. He has a purpose for my life. Amen? He desires intimacy from me for my life. He's the purpose of my life. Amen? So if you will, turn in your Bibles. Uh, we're using 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as a point of reference for this series. And I am going to start in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, and we'll read through verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all you've done, God, to bring us to this time and place in history where we can be close to you, where we can hear from you, where we can worship you. Lord, would you be glorified by every word that's spoken from this church this morning. In your name we pray, amen. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. Fellowship with the Father is opened to us through the act of reconciliation, which is on his part, not ours. Amen. He accomplished the work. He extended the invitation to us into fellowship. This gospel, and those of you who have come on Wednesday nights know I'm very passionate about comparing this religion with other religions. This gospel is a substitutionary gospel. Amen? Jesus is the substitute for us. It's a reconciling gospel. Every other religion, there is something you must do on a continual basis in order to possibly earn salvation from a God who despises you. Right? Our faith says you have been reconciled to God through Christ. We've been reconciled to Jesus through Christ. The gospel reconciles the sinner to God. Reconciliation assumes that there was once alienation, right? It assumes that there was separation. It assumes that you were once enemies of God and you are now reconciled to God. It's his act that accomplished it, not ours. So I thought in my Bible, I thought, well, where is just a good example of reconciliation where the Bible is loaded with examples? But I thought I'd pull on a passage that's super familiar with those of you who grew up in church. So this is going to be incredibly familiar to, to you, but I think there's wealth in it for all of us. It's in John chapter 4. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 29. John 4, 1 says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Pause right there. Uh, what we know is Jerusalem is to the south, the southern portion, yes? And Galilee is the northern portion of the Jewish empire. And a, uh, a section, a province known as Samaria is right between the two. Um, a good Jew 
would, would go around it because they hated the Sumerians. They would have to cross the Jordan River and then skirt all the way up and then come back into Galilee. Any of you ever done that because you don't like somebody? Maybe you avoid a restaurant. You avoid a neighborhood. You don't want to run into anybody ever had that? Just me? Okay. Well, I have. Uh, maybe not a whole portion of town, but definitely like some of their favorite places, right? Because you don't want to run into them. Uh, Jews would go to great lengths to skirt around the Sumerians. It's about a seven-day journey on foot if you cross the Jordan and skirt all the way up and then come back around. If you go straight through Samaria, it's a three-day journey. Scripture, so you say four days. So Scripture tells us Jesus had to pass through Samaria, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, do you, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They're in the town of Sychar in Samaria. Sychar comes from a word in the Hebrew, sakar, which means drunkenness. So it's not a bad, uh, it is a bad part of town. It's not a good part of town, yes? Uh, if your town is named after drunkenness, you know you got a problem, right? So she's at this well, the well, and the reason that there's so much strife between the Samaritans and the Jews is shortly after the days of Solomon, there was civil war. So those of you who are super familiar with Old Testament uh, history will be familiar with this. There was war, yes? And a Jewish leader had come and gone as far as to burn down the temple in Samaria, and so the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. They hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. 
the Pharisees had a common belief that not only sickness was contagious, but sin was contagious. So you couldn't speak to someone who was in sin. You couldn't touch someone who was sinful because the sin might stick to you. And we know that some bad churches have that same idea. Yes? We see someone sinful and we say, oh, okay. God bless you from a distance. Write you on the prayer request. Good churches don't. So North Lake doesn't. Amen? We do not have that theology or that teaching. Sin is not contagious. Amen? In fact, God has called you to be light in darkness. Amen? He's called you to be the salt and the light of the earth. Salt is a preservative in addition to a flavor enhancer, which you probably know. Um, some, uh, some Bible teaching, uh, this passage has been taught many, many times, and I'm sure you've heard it many, many times before. Yes? The woman at the well. Uh, and typically, the message goes something like, this is a really sinful woman, right? She's been with six men. She's got all this sin, all this baggage, and here comes Jesus, and he extends love and compassion to the woman, Right? And then they really emphasize the fact that Jesus went through Samaria and not around Samaria, yeah? Because he was driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of that could be true. Um, but we know that Jesus and the disciples passed through Samaria multiple times. So in Luke 8 and Luke 17, they're going through Samaria. So this is not the only time that Jesus passes through Samaria. It could be to save time. It could be because he was God to all. Amen. And so he didn't hate the Samaritans. It could be that he led by example because Jesus came not only to tell us how to live, but also to show us how to live. Amen. So he modeled it for us. It could be all of those things. But this is not the only time that Jesus passes through Samaria. Um, I want to make a, a few points on the passage, and they're going to be short and brief, and you're going to be so impressed because it's not going to be 55 minutes. It's going to be like 25 minutes, so you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you know, I heard this, uh, this preacher. Um, anybody know John MacArthur? Yeah, he passes this huge church, and uh, he's preaching. He's scolding the people. He's like, who made the rule that pastors can only preach for an hour? And you're like, man, that's a, that's a faithful church if you can get through an hour, right? Uh, he's like, who made the rule? He's like, I want to be like Paul and preach till they're falling out the window asleep. You're like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, my dad has trained us well, amen? We're like a 50, 55-minute church. We are. We get a gold star from Jesus this morning. Uh, first point is this. Reconciliation wasn't our idea. It was God's idea. Yes? Sometimes as believers, we get this idea that God created the earth and he created us. And now he is so deeply disappointed in our performance that if we beg him enough, he just might extend reconciliation to us. You ever been there? Maybe. I know he's so disappointed. I know I'm such a failure in his eyes. But if I earn just enough favor, if I get just enough gold stars for church attendance, for reading my Bible, for prayer, for fasting, and for avoiding cuss words, then he just might be reconciled to me. <clears throat> Wrong. Reconciliation was his plan. In fact, he paid the price for your reconciliation before you were ever born. Right? So he knew. He knew everything that you would be. He knew that you wouldn't be able to do it on your own. And he still chose to pay the price. Who's the gospel for? Well, here, the gospel is for a woman that is coming to a well in the sixth hour, which is noon. 
she's coming at noon to a well in the desert. Not a very popular time to visit a well, which you've heard before. Yes? Women in this time would go in groups to the well. And they would typically go either at dusk or very early in the morning because you're living in the desert. So if anybody's ever lived in Arizona or on the equator like I did, then you know that noon is the hottest moment of the day. Yes? And the same word here used for jar is the same word used in John 2 when Jesus turns the water into wine. So we know these are huge jars. So she's carrying this giant jar to a well at noon by herself. Why do you say? Likely because she's avoiding contact with other people, okay? So she's picking a time to go to a well that isn't, isn't a very popular time. And there's not going to be anybody else there. Why, you say? It may be because she was the gossip of the town. It may be because she wasn't well-liked by the other women in the town. Maybe because she didn't have a choice but to go by herself and at noon. She's also visiting a well that's not the closest one to her town. So we know historically that there are four other wells that are closer to Sychar than this one. But she's choosing to go to a a well far away. That might also show us that she's not a very well-liked woman. So here we have a social outcast. The gospel is for this social outcast. Amen. Just before this story, in John chapter 3, Jesus interacts with Nicodemus. And you're familiar with that story. Yes? He's a smug, self-righteous pretentious, holy man who's also extended salvation through Jesus. Amen? So you have here two people that are in polar opposites of the spectrum, of the social spectrum, right? A well-accepted, self-righteous, holy man, and the very social outcast, the most social outcast example that John can think of, yes? And between the two stories, what do you have? You have John 3, 16, yes? For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, right, that anyone who believes in him, what's John doing? He's setting up his thesis, and then he's showing you before and after the thesis why his thesis is true. Did you catch it? He's showing you, hey, the gospel is for this righteous, self-righteous, holy man. The gospel is also for this social outcast. Whosoever, anyone who believes. Um, In Middle Eastern culture, even today, uh, Women don't speak with men in public. In fact, in Saudi Arabia, it's inappropriate for a man to speak to his wife in public. Yes? So women and men do not interact socially uh, in public. Um, It wasn't appropriate. It wasn't appropriate then. It wasn't appropriate. It wouldn't be appropriate today in many Middle Eastern cultures. Uh, So this is a scandalous story. Yes? This is great scandal that Jesus initiates dialogue with this woman, which is why his disciples come back, and what does it say? No one dared ask him, why are you talking to this woman? But it would have been a very uh, scandalous thing for Jesus to do. What does that tell me? That Jesus does not care what our opinions are, and neither should we care what the opinions of the world are when we are doing the work of the Lord. Amen? We get so bogged down. So tied up in how we'll be perceived. What will they think of me if I do that? Yes? But if you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and if Jesus has put something on your heart, can I invite you to fulfill that? Can I invite you to say yes to Jesus, regardless of how it makes you look? His eyes matter so much more than anyone else's. Jesus was not concerned with what others may think. Reconciliation wasn't our idea It was God's idea. He initiates reconciliation. I think that we make two mistakes. And honestly, I'm talking about the church, big capital C. I think we make two mistakes. I think the first is something I mentioned before. 
We think that if we beg well enough, that he just might save us. If we ask just right, we make salvation entirely performance-driven, right? If, uh, if I get by with just enough sin, but not the super offensive ones, if I get by with just enough church attendance, if I get by with just enough prayer, then I will skirt into heaven and he'll let me in. There are some of us that think God wants nothing to do with us because of mistakes in our past, that he's eternally disappointed. But the lesson here is that Jesus will go to great lengths to reach people. Jesus is a friend of sinners for which we are so grateful. This woman says, sir, give me the water that I may never thirst again. She says, he responds and says, go get your husband. She responds, she says, I have no husband. And then he reveals she's an adulterer. But he knows everything that this woman has done. Absolutely everything. And yet he extends reconciliation to her. Um, I think that if we can keep in mind what's been done for us, I think it will impact the way that we live. Uh, Francis Chan, who's one of my favorite preachers, he, he says, uh, have you ever wondered if we're missing it? It's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, creator of nitrogen and pine needles, galaxies and E minor, loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our response? We go to church, sing songs for 20 minutes, and try not to cuss. It's tough, amen? When you think about what's been done for you, I think it will impact the way that you live. So reconciliation isn't our idea, it's his. Second one is this. All barriers are broken down. Uh, Jesus is speaking with a woman. I talked about how scandalous that would have been for Jesus to approach a woman and dialogue with her. Jesus is potentially speaking with the worst of sinners while knowing everything that she's ever done. I think uh, we've made a big deal of how sinful we think she is because she's had five husbands and she's now living with a man that's not her husband. Um, and I think that might show something of how we respond to people in what we deem as sinful situations. If you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, then you know that only a man can initiate a divorce. Yes? So this woman has been divorced from a man more than five times. Yes? Um, we also know that one of the causes for divorce in Middle Eastern culture and acceptable by Pharisaic law is infertility. So it is possible, let's just hypothesize, that this woman is divorced five times because she couldn't bear children. We also know that in Middle Eastern culture, the only breadwinner is a man. Yes? He's the only one eligible for gaining income. So she would have to live with a man, right? So she's been divorced five times. She's now with a sixth man. She, it may be that she's infertile, that she doesn't have children that can support her, and that she's forced to live with a man because she has no one else to care for her. Does that make sense? It's easy to say, she's an adulterous woman. She is an adulterous woman. I'll tell you what the, where I'm getting that, because when Jesus addresses the other adulterous woman who's being stoned, everybody knows that story? He says, go and sin no more. Remember? He doesn't say that to this woman. Yeah? Um, so we don't really know what her situation is. We don't know. We don't know if it's because she's sinful and she's cheated on men and she's been divorced. We don't know if it's because she's infertile and she's a Samaritan woman, so they're just discarding her and divorcing her and she's forced to live with a sixth man. We don't know what her story is. I think that's a good example for us as a church. Amen? That when someone comes in carrying baggage, maybe instead of just jumping to a conclusion, 
Maybe we learn a little bit of their story. Maybe we find out why they're in that situation. Amen? Because we know that Jesus redeems all things. Yes? God is a redeemer. He's the redeemer. I haven't earned salvation any more than anybody else, which is a hard thing to recognize. Amen? I said that first thing is, is we think that if we beg well enough, he just might save us. I think the second mistake that we make is that we somehow think we've earned salvation. We think we've earned it. Uh, and I have definitely made this mistake. I went to a Christian college, Wheaton College. Um, it's a pretty snotty atmosphere. <laughs> uh, and uh, after about a year there at Wheaton, after my freshman year, I came home. And I thought I was the savior of the world. Um, I thought I knew everything. I thought that Jesus had chosen me because I was so special. Uh, just being real transparent. It sticks to you when you're in that kind of environment, yes? When you're in an environment that says we're holier than everyone else. And really what it is is everyone has learned to fake it better than everyone else, yes? So everyone has learned to put on the show of the righteous man um, or righteous woman. And so everyone's begun to fake it. And so you're at a point where you're faking it so well that you convince yourself that maybe I have. Maybe I did earn salvation. Jesus really didn't have to extend that much grace to me. I mean, yeah, when I was four, maybe I told a lie, right? Since then, I can't remember a sin I've committed. I mean, I can't think of one. That is a lie, friends. I'm lying to you. I can remember plenty of sins. Uh, but we start to think if we're in it long enough, then we've kind of earned it. So then we have this sort of resentment and bitterness towards someone else who maybe isn't where we are according to what we see in our road to sanctification. And we say, oh, that, that person's not saved. I am. They're not. Yes? Um, I think we need to be very careful on both sides. Either thinking that we have somehow attained some measure of sinlessness or the opposite side of thinking that we have to beg just well enough for Jesus to save us. Both sides, friends, land in absolute misery. You end up with competitive churches. You end up with a bunch of phony people, people who know they can't reveal anything that they're struggling with because there's no grace extended to them. And so they're all trying to fake it better than the other. I think we need to be incredibly careful. But Jesus breaks down all barriers. Amen. All barriers are broken down. He extends grace to both the woman who's deemed the penultimate sinner and to Nicodemus, the righteous man. He knows everything she's ever done. The last thing is, is reconciliation breeds intimacy. And the question is, are we stale because we've just become too familiar? Um, I think when I was in the fifth grade, uh, we came back to the good old state of Kentucky from Ecuador. And um, when I, uh, we, we left um, when I was in second grade, yeah. So we've been gone for like three years. And I was so excited to come back and get a Happy Meal at McDonald's. I mean, I had dreamt of a Happy Meal at McDonald's for more than three years. Yes. I was so excited. And so I remember my dad, uh, he was itinerating, which means he's a missionary going around fundraising. And so he's preaching in the morning. He's preaching at night. And as a missionary kid, you're in all the services. Yeah. And so, um, so one Sunday night when we'd come back from Ecuador, my dad said, I'm going to swing into McDonald's for the boys. And I was just so excited. And so I got a Happy Meal, and I got the toy that comes inside, and the french fries were so salty, and the cheeseburger was so delicious. And I remember thinking, this is the best meal of my life. <laughs> I'm thinking, food, 
will not get any better than this meal. How can it? This is amazing. Um, and then you have it again, you know? And then you have it again. Then you have it again. And then the fifth time you're like, eh, it's okay, yeah? And now I'm 35 and I have it, I'm like, oh, man, what a terrible choice. What a mistake. Yes, you become so familiar with it, yeah, that the first time you taste it, it's life-changing. I was ready to leave my parents, get in an orphanage just so I could get McDonald's and stay in the United States. I mean, it was the best meal of my life. Now, I avoid it like the plague, yeah? I'd choose anything over McDonald's, I think. Even a $5 chicken at Walmart, which are delicious, by the way. <laughs> but that will change too. I think the same is true with what Jesus has done for us. I think when you're new to recognizing that grace is extended to you with no act on your part except acceptance of the gift of grace, I think you're overwhelmed with it. And I think the first thing you want to do is you want to tell everybody else, can you believe what this man has done for me? He knew everything I ever did. Everything. And yet, yet he, he extended grace to me. Yet he saved me. And so you're so emboldened with that, that you want to share that news with everyone around you. Yes? But then fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Grow up in a church and then you're like, yeah, I know, I'm saved, okay? Yeah, I, you probably picked me. You probably picked me because I'm special. And, it, and you just get stale. You just get increasingly stale to what Jesus has done. Reconciliation should breed intimacy between us and the Lord. Amen? It's a breeding ground for intimacy. Intimacy is union, right? Everything has been reconciled. There is total peace with you and Jesus. He's not disappointed. He's not frustrated. He's not discouraged. He doesn't see you as a failure. He's accepted you. In fact, he sees the righteousness of Christ when he sees you. I'll tell you a story of a pastor. Um, there was this pastor. I heard this story. It was in the South, so it makes sense. Uh, there was this pastor, and um, he was just having like, a, he had a little bit of an unruly congregation. So people were yelling out questions and feedback during the service, and he just kind of wanted to silence everybody. Yes. Just listen to me for 25 minutes or 55 minutes. Um, so he was trying to tamper everybody down. And so there was this woman who uh, kept saying she had a prophecy or had prophetic, the gift of prophecy. And so he said, okay, sister, after service, he's like, if you have the gift of prophecy, why don't we put it to the test? Go ask the Lord what sin I committed on Thursday night this week. And if he reveals it to you, then come to my office on Tuesday morning. And if it's right, you can give all the prophetic words you want in my church. But otherwise, don't speak out again. Yeah? She's okay, Pastor. Thank you. I'll do that. Thank you. God bless you. So she goes home. She goes to the office bright and early Tuesday morning. Goes, Pastor? Pastor Rogers? I, I prayed, and the Lord spoke to me. I said, oh, he did? Okay, well, come in. Close the door. Yes. So we can keep this between you and I. What was the sin that I committed last Thursday? And she said, well, Pastor, I prayed. And the Lord said, you're forgiven of that sin, and he's already forgotten what that sin was. <laughs> okay. Either she has stronger theology than he does, or she really did hear from Jesus. But one way or another, she's right on. Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so are sins from man. Amen? 
The Lord is not disappointed in you this morning. Can I say that with confidence? The Lord is not looking at you and being like, man, I wish you could be more like Patty. (laughs) Man, I wish you could be more like Jay, but you're not. That's not at all. Reconciliation was his plan from the beginning. It wasn't ours. We didn't come up with this genius idea. It's not that he created, set the world in motion, and then we just flopped. And then we said, oh, well, if we get it just right, if we beg just right, if we ask just right, then maybe he'll extend mercy. No, friends. No, this was his plan A from the beginning. He sent his son to pay the price so that you and I could be reconciled to him. So what's the fruit of that? Intimacy is the fruit of that. Intimacy with the Father. Full confidence in prayer. Full confidence in petition to the Lord. Full trust in his goodness and his faithfulness that we sang so many times this morning. Full confidence before him as a son, as a daughter, as an heir to the kingdom of God. He sees the righteousness of Jesus as he looks at you. Amen? We see the woman. She comes to the well carrying a jar. Yes? What does it say? She left her jar behind her. And she went into town and said, come and meet a man who knew everything I ever did. And what happens later in John? The Samaritans in Sychar, all the men, come to Jesus because they're overwhelmed by the power of her testimony. So they come to Jesus and they're they're amazed. And what happens? They follow after Jesus. Do you catch what John is doing though? Why does she leave the jar? She's walked all the way there in the desert. Why doesn't she just take the water with her? We can read into it however we want to. Yes? Can I say that just maybe it's an example of what we need to leave behind at the feet of Jesus? Can I say maybe it's just an example, right? Listen, friends, we're carrying all this guilt. We're carrying all this shame. We're carrying all this weight of like, oh, I'm such a failure. Oh, I'm so disappointing. Oh, but Jesus, if only. Oh, but Jesus, if only. And the Lord today is saying, Leave your jar at the well and run into town and say, here's a man who knew everything I ever did, and he loves me so much. Amen? The Lord loves you, friends. I don't think that we speak enough about grace, and I know the fear, right? We get too much grace, and then we got people who refuse to to change. We got people who just are comfortable in their sin. That's not what this is. This isn't an invitation to comfortable sin. This isn't an invitation to stopping the transformation process that's going on in your life. All it is is it's saying, hey, listen, we're all in the same boat. None of us are earning salvation any more than the other. We are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Jesus. Amen? So there's no fear in in stressing the grace that he's extended to us. It's a message of liberation. It's a message of freedom. And the freedom brings you into intimacy with the Father. Amen? Not into intimacy with the devil. Jesus is asking for intimacy with you. He's asking for you not to allow guilt and shame to be a barrier between you and he. That's what he's asking. He's asking for you to recognize the right that you have as an heir to the kingdom of God, as a son, as a daughter of the king who wants intimacy with you and who planned this from the very beginning before you were ever born, knowing that you wouldn't be able to earn it. Friends, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, Jesus loves you because you've accepted him. Amen? You've accepted him, and he loves you this morning, and he wants intimacy from you.
John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So it's time to leave your burden. It's time to leave your anxiety. It's time to leave your guilt. It's time to leave your attempt at earning a place with him or the stinky message that somehow you've earned a place with him. There's nothing more powerful in your life than your testimony. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing is more an effective witness in your life than recognizing what Jesus has saved you from. Amen? Nothing is more powerful. Priscilla, will you come help me? We're going to sing an old song. And then I'm going to have you out of here by noon. So my dad will be eternally jealous. Um, um, we're going to sing an old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I, uh, I invite you this morning to stand with me, to sing it with full confidence.